Welcome to episode 14 of the Female Health Show. Today I'm talking about the fertile body, period health, and the oral contraceptive pill. So it's going to be a short one. So listen in, get your notepads out, and let's deep dive into it. So first of all, the oral contraceptive pill does not regulate your cycle. So if you went to the doctor at any stage between whenever you first got it, maybe you were as young as 10, maybe you were 11 or 12, and you know, so on. Whenever you first get it, for the first like two, three, four, maybe even five years, your body is just figuring out what it needs to do with all these new hormones. Okay, this increased amount of hormones, of testosterone, of estrogen and progesterone. So it's completely normal to have no idea what's happening with your period, when it should be coming, how many days it needs to be. Does it need, is mine a 28-day cycle? Is mine a 30-day cycle? Is mine a 32 or 35-day cycle? Because this is also normal. But we haven't normalized the fact that when you're young and in school, this is what they're missing. When you're young... We don't, we can't predict that's going to be exactly 28 days for every single woman, for every single girl. So, you know, we learn these things in schools and at at times for me, I had no idea. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand what a 28 day cycle meant. I knew on the diagram that you might have your period for seven days, but when I was younger, it would last for like two or three days and I'd have extremely painful periods and it would either be really regular like I would have it on the first day of the month and then sometimes it would change to the ending of the month but that didn't stress me out and so you know if you have people in your life who are telling you no your period needs to be exactly 28 days well no there's room for 28 to 35 days when it starts to get a little bit what's happening it's because there's too much time like 60 days plus and this is where you may see PCOS type of clients who have this kind of 60 day plus between periods. So I want to highlight that when you're young and when you first get your period, it's normal for it to be irregular. As you become an adult and a young woman in your 20s, it should it should become a lot more regular and with your exercise routine, with your sleep quality, with your, you know, managing your stress, it's going to get better and better and better. If you don't manage stress well, if you don't sleep and you have insomniac-like sleep patterns, if you don't eat healthy foods and you just eat a lot of sugar and drink a lot of alcohol, perhaps you take drugs, your cycle is not going to be regular. It's not going to show normal type of symptoms that a woman who is regular is having. You might get a lot of pain. You might get a lot of spotting. It might um, be really light in color. It might have a lot of clots in there. There, It may have a different smell. And these are all things that your body is talking to you. And it's okay. We need to understand this. The other thing quickly that I want to highlight is sometimes you may go to the doctor or someone takes you to the doctor to regulate your cycle with the pill. I think this conversation as a teen would be incredibly difficult to have. So, you know, if you're someone young listening to my episodes and I know there's an audience of about 16 to 18 year olds that do listen to my podcast and I have an audience of 18 to 50 and 60 year olds who listen to my my podcast as well. So if you're someone young listening to this episode today, what I really want to highlight is feel free to DM me, feel free to get some resources off me. I'm happy to share that. You know, what I might even do is create a blog post so that you can, you know, share with your family directly. And if you would like that and appreciate that, please message me so I can create a blog post where you can automatically share and I'll just link a whole bunch of 
amazing authors and doctors and practitioners who can, you know, also back what I'm exactly saying right now. So I'll I'll definitely do that. Um, But I definitely would think it'd be a hard conversation to have as a young person because, you know, when you're young, adults, parents, they don't exactly want to listen to what you have to say. And unless they're very open and curious parents, I think this can be quite challenging conversation to have. So if you are thinking that being on the pill will help regulate your cycle, I really want you to know that that is not true. And this is the reason why it's not true. So for starters, it's a withdrawal bleed, which means you take the sugar pill and the sugar pill is essentially allowing you to release blood. And because you're no longer taking the progestins in the pills and having a sugar pill instead you have withdrawn from the progestins and therefore you have a withdrawal bleed. A withdrawal bleed also means that you're not ovulating. So when you take the pill and you take the sugar pill, because you are not ovulating, it's technically not a true period. So a true period is where your estrogen rises, you ovulate, you release an egg and it now can be fertilized. This is not happening when you take the pill, which is why it doesn't regulate your cycle either. It stops this process in its tracks and therefore you are not regulating the cycle. And this is what gets women in a lot of trouble who have been on the pill for 10, 20 odd years thinking that it's regulating my cycle or not really caring about your period health. And I can kind of understand where this notion comes from because, you know, you don't really talk about periods unless you have a very open family who does talk about this type of stuff or a curious member of your family who is interested in this female health in area like PCOS it can be part of a reason of depression and anxiety it can alter your mate preference so it can change who you actually fall in love with or who you find attractive which I find completely odd. So you get this paper slip in the, you know, the side effects of the pill and you read it and you think oh, that's not going to happen to me. And then you start to notice it does. It changes your mood. It changes your behavior. It changes your mate preference. It changes so much of your biology and it's not natural. It's not normal. So instead of being grossed out by a period, instead of trying to stunt something in fear of pregnancy, we need to empower women, empower young girls and, you know, It's a very complex conversation, of course. There are, you know, um, outliers left and right that may potentially need to consider taking the pill, like someone who has endometriosis. These women or, you know, endometriosis women can take the pill or they can also use an IUD. And a lot of women that I do coach do take that because endometriosis is so freaking painful that it's so challenging for these women to manage their day-to-day life without something to help them. So, you know, this is a conversation where we have an outlier. Another outlier would be someone who is not in their right mental state and who is potentially just throwing their body out there without any kind of conscious thought or emotions. So that trauma victims, um, there's so many reasons why this, this is potentially important for people, but we also need to understand that education for the masses and the general population where they're not at risk of these outlier circumstances is important as well. I really feel like the female space has accelerated so fast and so rapidly in the last three to five years that women are really wanting to become more invested in their health and focus on the intuition. Because when we think about the womb, the womb is really much is is about 
the energy, is that creation, it's that life, it's understanding your yourself. And when we take the pill, it's numbing all of that. It's numbing our intuition. It's numbing our energy levels. It's numbing so much of who, at a true sense, a woman is. So my next point is actually understanding our fertility. So we are not fertile for the whole month. Now, with massive disclosure here, this doesn't mean that you know, you could have sex in your follicular phase and try for pregnant and you do because we need to understand a few things here. We need to understand the day that you're up to your typical ovulation day. You need to understand when you ovulate and how to potentially look out for ovulation when it has happened, because it is very hard to predict when it's going to be. So those apps that you use on your phone, like flow Samsung health now has a period chart section It might say you're going to ovulate on this day, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are ovulating that day. So we need to make this really clear is that understanding your ovulation comes down to you and how well you track your cervical mucus, your basal metabolic temperature to predict when ovulation is or has happened. And I'm going to go through that quite briefly. So, Another point that I want to make before I say this one is that I have learned this from many industry leaders and experts in female fertility and health, such as Lauren Curden, Jessica Brebner, who is part of the fertility charting and a symptothermal um, coach, uh, Dr. Lara Bryden. I've read her book and it is fantastic. Highly recommend. Nicole Jardim was the first woman that I actually came across on Instagram about five years ago, who I thought was incredible um, to be talking about this. And it was so helpful. Dr. Jolene Bright, I'm pretty sure on Instagram as well. There are so many amazing fertility experts and, and female coaches in this industry that when you start to expose yourself and open up to these people, you learn a lot. And the information is very simple to understand when you keep exposing yourself to it. So again, I've learned this from other people. This is not, you need to take this with a grain of salt and because you need to understand your own cycle. Okay, so I'm not going to be giving you exact days. I'm just going to be telling you simply how to look out for your ovulation. Okay, but again, this is full disclosure. This doesn't mean that you use this as the book, the Bible, you really need to learn about yourself with other coaches in the industry. This is just for education purposes and information purposes only. Okay, so you're only fertile for 12 to 48 hours, which essentially is one to two days. You will notice your cervical mucus is more watery in consistency, and then your temperature will spike by 0.2 degrees Celsius, which will confirm that ovulation has happened, and your temperature will have been will be raised for the re- remainder of the luteal phase. Okay? So a spike in estrogen happens, you ovulate, your temperature now rises and that confirms ovulation. So you can't just use cervical mucus fluid color consistency to confirm if ovulation has has not happened. Okay, and you also need to understand your hormones as well and what's happening to confirm it as well, which, you know, could go through blood tests. Now, where the very interesting part of this is, so you will only be fertile for 12 to 48 hours. However, sperm can live in the reproductive tract 
for five to seven days. Okay, so this is where as women, we need to be very careful, especially if you are sexually active and you're not practicing safe sex and you don't want to fall pregnant. This is very important. So you could have sex on day nine of your follicular phase, which is, you know, okay, let's just let's break this down even further. So day one of your new cycle is when the last day of your period has ended you start a new day, there's no blood, there's no spotting, there's nothing. It is considered your day one. So let's say day nine, you have sex, something happens, the sperm live in that reproductive tract for five to seven days. By day 13, 14, 15, that's about five to seven days, you may still fall pregnant because the sperm is still alive in the reproductive tract. So let's just be really clear about that. Okay. I hope that was informative. So day one of your cycle again is the, the last, so the last day of your period is day 28. Typically day might be day 35 for some of you, which is quite common and, and okay. Um, and then the first day where there's no blood, no spotting, it's the first day of your new cycle. And that that's when you start, start from day one. Oh, that's a tongue twister. Very hard to explain without diagrams. Um, so I hope that's clear. Point three that I want to make is mental health is linked to your menstrual cycle, your hormonal fluctuations. So we need to understand this because a lot of women get on the pill either to manage anxiety and depressive moods. And then a lot of people come off the pill and they have anxiety and depressive moods. So where where are we going wrong? And I think this is a very complex conversation to start off with. So if you have anxiety and depressive mood symptoms during your cycle, so in that luteal phase in particular, I think we also need to understand that your cycle is talking to you. So your body's telling you that something is wrong, something's off. If you are going through severe chronic depression in that phase, then there is something that you need to look at more closely in terms of lifestyle choices and changes so potentially something that you're eating is exacerbating something maybe you're lacking a mineral or vitamin in your body perhaps your gut is really unhealthy and the vagus nerve which directly communicates from the gut to the brain is communicating a chemical or a signal that is throwing your hormones off okay so at a very basic level without going into too much detail of this because it is a very complex issue Um, that is what could be happening. So if you come off the pill and you have anxiety and depressive moods, it's probably most likely because now you need to relearn how to manage your true hormones because now you're having a surge of estrogen and progesterone and LH, FSH, cortisol, adrenaline, like all these things are changing in your body. And now you need to relearn how to manage it. And for some people who have been on the pill for 10, 20 odd years, even, you know, four, eight years is enough. I reckon even in one year, I had the pill for one month and the IUD for two months and that fucked me up. So, and then I haven't had anything since because personal preference and also I'm not putting junk in my body that I know I can personally control because I've empowered myself through learning about female fertility and health. Anyway, long story short. So when you come off the pill, there could potentially be issues with understanding your hormones and what's going on. 
If you have any questions about that, I think it'd be best to look on PubMed, ResearchGate, Google Scholar, and kind of just type in the search engine, anxiety and the pill, depression and the pill, um, and just have a look at what comes up because I think you will find that there is a lot of data on this, but doctors don't really take you seriously for it. And this is more anecdotal and qualitative in sense. So it's storytelling this side of it. And a lot of research doesn't really look too well on qualitative data. However, I can tell you that I meet women every single day and the stories of the women that I talk to are so important. But you can't, we can't just relate it to the pill. We have to understand that there are lifestyle factors involved, genetic history, genetic makeup, and this can all be influenced from lifestyle choices. The pill is, yes, an isolated thing that a lot of people do talk about, and I necessarily don't agree with it all the time. And I think there are times that women you know, need to consider, especially women who have endometriosis. The pill or the IUD is something to look at. There are, again, countless stories with different things. But again, everyone is different. And we just need to be open to the fact that female fertility is a very complex research issue because women have four different phases, essentially, within a month or a 28, 35 day cycle. So... I hope that makes sense. I'm probably going to stop on that point <laughs> and move on to the next one. Um, that's just some thoughts for you to think about. Okay. Number four is it's very common to feel hungrier the week before or the week of your period. So when the blood starts coming out or the week before the blood starts coming out. This is just because the body is now using a lot of energy to release blood through the vaginal tract. Okay, so if you're feeling hungrier, it's because your body is using a lot of energy to release the blood. Okay, and I think a lot of people get grossed out by blood, but I think it's really important to understand the colors of your period. So you're you're definitely looking for a bright cranberry, bright red color, minimal um, coagulation, so no blood clots, no clumping. You definitely don't want to see lots of lumps in your period blood. If it's very like clumpy in there, there could potentially be something you want to look at. And this isn't to be alarmist either. It's just something, again, education information is really important in this sector. And I think I just want to un- get you to understand to Be curious about your human and female body rather than be repelled and ignore what's happening and just giving you like things to notice more often. So um, that's a tip on your period blood. Um, And at the end of the month, it might be a bit more of a browner color and um, there shouldn't be any spotting. It should just come and then go. So that's definitely some signs to, you know, consider and have a look at. So if you're feeling hungrier during that time of the month, the week before the week of, eat more carbs, eat equal amounts of protein as well. So let's just say you're having two to three meals a day, maybe have a fourth or fifth meal, fourth and fifth meal probably, rather than, you know, hitting the pantry and snacking on all the potato chips, all the chocolate, you know, maybe have something that pleases you like a gluten-free brownie sounds amazing to me. And an extra meal of potatoes, chicken breast, broccoli with lemon and salt and pepper. Oh my God, I'm already making myself hungry thinking of that. 
So, you know, you and another point that I was learning from one of my mentors, Holly Sinclair, on her podcast was that potentially the reason why women do find a lot of pain, a lot of issues is because women are chronically under eating during their cycle and during and the whole time, the entire month, the entire year. And it's so true because the women that I also have as clients under eat severe amounts of food they're eating like a thousand one thousand two hundred calories fifteen hundred calories seems to be like the magic number with, with people who are more interested in the health and fitness space it's quite sad how disconnected we are as a female community from our intuition our self our true self who we are our affectionate warm welcoming loving energy because i think a lot of the time we are chronically under eating we are constantly keeping ourselves busy and minds on something else and it's sitting in that masculine energy and here we are trying to you know conceive or trying to get to a certain body type or be fitter, be healthier, be mentally more resilient. And we're sitting in this masculine energy that is too controlling, can't let go of things, is very aggressive, very fight or flight. And there's definitely nothing wrong with the masculine energy. The masculine energy is assertive, it's direct, it's strong, it's stable, it's self-confident. But when as women we're sitting in this masculine energy constantly it's not truly what a woman is and that feminine touch it's a feminine touch is warm it's like a warm hug it's intuitive generous nurturing it's a motherly figure it's also creative and collaborative with others it's caring receptive grateful And I feel like a lot of the time we sit in this masculine energy that has to be logical, that we're trying to be confident all the time with our work and focused and strong and always, you know, mentally stable when we're not, you know, we don't have a clear direction. Sometimes we we have very creative energy sometimes and we need to express ourselves and let go. And this is where we need to understand that when we take pills and oral contraceptive, whatever it is, and antibiotics, and we're eating like fast food all the time and chips and chocolate and sugary processed foods and alcohol, we are not in sync with our intuition. And this is why I'm so bloody passionate about nutrient quality, about training properly, about not doing HIT 24-7. You know, maybe you do a HIT or a cardio class once a week and the rest you do two or three strength type of classes which are slower which are more focused on yourself because you need to tap into yourself more often and I feel like we have no we've we've lost that touch and I think it's just about being aware of this about being aware that sometimes we don't understand the difference between us in a month where you have the very that follicular phase where you are probably going to be more confident more focused you're probably going to get two weeks worth of work done in that follicular phase in the luteal phase that week or two before your period and then you get your period you're probably going to need to be a little bit slower listen to your womb and your heart more Be more creative, sit out in the sun and sunbathe, you know, enjoy your pet and play with your pet a little bit more, create a new recipe, you know, don't sit at your desk and eat, don't sit in your car and and scoff down food, 
you, we need to understand that we have these flowing energies between masculine and feminine and it's okay for this to happen. We just need to be more receptive of this and slow down a bit because we're really tapping out of a, the, the female health, I think. And it's, it's too much. It's making people sick. So that's four facts of fertility and female health today. And I guess the reason why I wanted to talk about this was because I did post something on TikTok and I'm going to be sharing it on Instagram and I wanted to have something supplementary to it to kind of give people to listen to as well. So I hope you enjoyed it. It's something that I am very passionate about in particularly. So I do love sharing my knowledge with other people. I hope you found this informative. And, you know, like I said, in the middle of this podcast, please go reach out to other health female practitioners. If you want me to put a little post up or share them with you, that's fine. Just let me know. But just research their names on the internet. You'll find them and their own websites on the internet, as well as on Instagram. We can just go through my followers and type their name in and you will find them there. I appreciate your listens. I appreciate you sharing this with others too. Don't forget that, you know, the more you share this type of information with other women in your community, the more empowered you can be together. And that's what I love. I love empowering women through conversations and discussions and not hiding things. We don't need to hide this information. The more that your community of women know this, the better. And and your and your male partners and the male counterparts to us as well. It's very useful for men to understand this as well as coaches and as partners or just as people in general, as bosses, as leaders. They need to understand that it's not woo-woo, that it is very much a woman is very complex and it's good to understand. You know, sometimes a woman can be a bit more brash and a little bit more in your face and doesn't really want to talk as much during the end of a cycle. And she's probably going to get a lot more work done at, in the follicular phase than she would in the luteal phase. And it doesn't mean that, you know, these people are going to start asking you questions and now logging in when you're in your luteal and your follicular phase. Or maybe it does. I don't know. But it depends on what you're willing to share as well. But I think sometimes it's just a conversation of, hey, I'm just I'm a little bit more of my slower phase this week. I'm going to try my best and get this done or whatever it is, whatever relationship you have. You know, sometimes people do discount a lot of themselves for their work and put a lot of their work in front of themselves. Like I have quite a few lawyers as clients and the amount of time they spend doing work just blows my mind. They lose sleep for it. They're not sleeping well. They're losing a lot of their self for their work, but it's a trade-off that at this point in time, they're willing to give up. And I think, you know, okay, you can understand that, but there are going to be times where you're going to crack and you need to get back into yourself and give yourself that me time. Anyway, I went on more of a tangent. I was supposed to be ending this episode. My God. So I hope you enjoyed it. Please reach out to me. Please share the podcast with someone. Please share it on your stories. And if you rate the podcast, it also does really well iTunes for me. So I appreciate it so much. Uh, Thanks for being here again. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll be back on here very shortly.